Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity again to study your word this morning. And God, we thankful for the we're thankful for the stories that it has to tell, Lord. Um, we're thankful for the lessons that we have to learn from the Lord. And in this case, uh, specifically, warnings of uh, loving the things of the world uh, so much and much more uh, than we might love you, Lord, or being tempted to, at least, God. And so we, uh, we uh, pray that you would guide us as we study your word. Uh, as always, as corrections needed, that would be in gentleness and, his love, and in love, as, uh, as Jim just showed me recently. And, uh, Father, we, uh, again, just are so thankful for your word and the time and opportunity to come together and worship you and hear from your word and study it together and encourage one another. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, well, we do have one handout. Um, and so my goal with this handout was to uh, make aware to you guys the comparisons um, that I don't think I would have had time to go through um, while I was teaching. And so we have just a, the obvious parallel to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is this, in Genesis 19 is the story in Judges 19, where the tribe of Benjamin uh, is behaving exactly the same way as the city of Sodom. Um, and so it's just, the whole book of Judges is about the, the people of Israel kind of spiraling down into depravity, and that is the uh, climax, climax of it all. And so if you look at Judges 19, it says Jude's 19, but it's Judges 19. Uh, in Genesis 19, you can see those comparisons. Also, put some parallels there of the flood narrative. In Genesis 19, okay, and so for obvious reasons, we uh, you can see why we compare those two accounts, um, because one is a major judgment of the Lord upon the entire earth, and then one is the judgment of the Lord on um, a few cities, but it's still a major judgment of the Lord. And I chose this particular uh, rendering of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because the focus is on the judgment. The people uh, are kind of are kind of uh, they're smaller. Um, they're kind of background pieces. The real focus is the orange and the red and the the total and thorough destruction of the city of Sodom. Okay, so those are there for you to peruse at your leisure. And uh, now we're going to get on to our chapter for this morning, which is chapter nineteen, Sodom and Gomorrah. Last week we went through chapter eighteen. Okay, in chapter eighteen was uh, when we had Abraham and Sarah had the three visitors. Okay, so Abraham um, uh, saw the three visitors in the Oaks of Mamre, and uh, one of them is the Lord, one of them are the other two are angels, as we'll see from the story. Um, and of course, a- Abraham de- demonstrated generous hospitality to them, and in turn, the Lord was willing to eat a meal that Abraham had prepared for them. And the Lord took that opportunity to reinforce again his promise to Abraham, and this, and this time specifically to Sarah, that she would give birth to a child. And how old were Abraham and Sarah? 190. 190. How old they are right now. So that's uh, when Sarah hears this news, she laughs to herself, and because uh, it was just too incredible a thing for to happen to her when she was 90 years old. 
Um, and so she laughs, and we talked about that last time. The Lord confronted her about her laughter and doubts. He didn't let her forget that she laughed. And uh, I think the point was that so that when the child did come, they would remember that they laughed, that they did. the Lord did something they both thought was too impossible to happen and too incredible to happen now. Uh, but he kept his promise to Abraham that they would have a child. And the second half of the chapter was concerned with the Lord revealing his purposes for Sodom and Abraham bargaining with the Lord concerning the survival of the innocent and the guilty in Sodom. Um, So Abraham was concerned about the righteous, but he was, of course, also concerned about his nephew Lot, um, who in chapter 14 he uh, went to save from this massive army of these four eastern kings. He hears a lot about his nephew uh, Lot. So the Lord ensured Abraham that even Abraham did that bargain, bar, bargaining, remember, 50, 45, 30, 20, 10, and then he stopped at 10 um, people. If there are even as much as 10 people who are righteous in the city, would he spare them? And the Lord said, yes, he would. Every single time you see this pa- patient response from the Lord that he would not punish the righteous like he would punish the wicked. He would not punish them together. Um, the Lord wanted Abraham to learn about righteousness and justice. And Abraham does, and he will, as we'll see at this chapter. And, of course, we know that the Lord's mercy and compassion upon people is even greater than Abraham's. Because while Abraham stopped at ten innocent men, the Lord will save three in chapter 9. And then, of course, we know in the New Testament that even if there were just one person, the Lord would be willing to save them as well. Um, So that brings us to chapter 19. Um, the reason that the Lord, one of the reasons that the Lord and the two angels came because, was because the outcry against Sodom uh, was so great. And so now we have the angels coming to Sodom. Uh, let me turn there in my Bible. All right. Verse 1. Now we, <laughs> we have a lot to get through. Um, so... I'm going to be going quickly, but if you have questions, raise your hands and we'll um, address those as well. But verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. All right, so some of your translations may have messengers. It's that Hebrew word we've talked about, malak. It can mean the human messengers or divine messengers. We'll see in this story that is referring to divine messengers, even though they have the appearance of men. Okay, so it's safe to call them angels. Um, And this is a continuation of the story in chapter 18. Now, why are these two angels going to Sodom? Why are they here? To warn Lot. Well, what was the reason... Uh, given in chapter 18 as to why uh, they were coming to Sodom. To destroy, well, you could say to judge it, and you could say to uh, specifically see if uh, the outcry was, or if their wickedness did meet the outcry that, was, that came up before the Lord. So they were coming to see Sodom, was as great as the outcry. Um, Kind of of strange because we know that that God is omniscient. 
Yeah. But yet it says, I will go down and see. There, there's this community. Well, he does that with uh, the Tower of Babel, too, right? He comes yeah. down to see what it is. Right. And so there's this communication <laughs> of uh, the Lord's thoroughness when it comes to his judgment that um, he is thorough in understanding. And so, and, and so we can understand as well uh, that he does not take destroying a city lightly. Um, let me see where I was. Hold on a second. The first thing we should notice is the time of day. Um, when the visitors came to Abraham, it was midday. The sun was high above the earth. And now when they're coming to Sodom, it's evening. It's nighttime. Lot is sitting at the gate of Sodom. And I think Robert Alter gives a helpful note about the gates. He says, Lot can sit in the gate because Canaanite cities had what amounted to a large chamber at the gateway. Here people gathered to gossip, to do business, and above all, to conduct justice. The gate would have led into the town square. Um, of course, the gate would have also been the primary entrance and exit for the city, so it would have been a busy place um, during the day. So his description should remind you of uh, the book of Ruth in chapter 4, the legal assembly that Boaz has with those men there. They have it in the gate, and so it's this big enough area where they could have a legal assembly. Um, and a lot of the commentators note that since Lot is sitting at the gate, that means he might have some sort of position of authority in the city. Uh, Dr. Ross states that judges sat in the gate. So that's a possibility um, that Lot was a judge. Um, okay, so you might notice that Lot's response is parallel to Abraham's response in chapter 18. Um, as soon as he sees the man, he gets up, he goes to them, he prostrates himself before them. Um, Abraham does the same. And so we have this uh, incredible hospitality that Abraham shows and Lot is being mirrored in that way. And so he's up being painted in a positive light. And we'll see from uh, that he will be, he's, he's being pictured as distinct from the city around him, as we'll see the men of Sodom's response to these two visitors compared to Lot's. He offer, offers them hospitality. Um, and we talked about how big of a deal hospitality was in this culture back then last time. Verses 2 and 3. We'll keep on going. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, However, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. So again, we see Lot giving a similar response to these visitors that Abraham gave. It doesn't seem like he can give as good of a meal as Abraham was able to give to him. Because um, Abraham uses fine flour and he uses bakes unleavened bread. It seems like a little bit of a quicker meal. Um, why would the angels reject his offer to spend the night in, uh, in Lot's home? And they want to spend the night in the square instead. What might be a reason for that? Yeah, the purposes they came was to was to see the city and to see the people. So possibly wanted to stay out in the square to to see um, and judge the people. Yeah, good answer. Yeah, Joan, did you have a? I'm just thinking later. I don't want to get ahead of you, but later on, it comes to find out mm-hmm. that been in the square, they'd have really had a problem when all those men come upon them. 
Well, I don't know how much of a problem it would have been for them, but yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, somebody, somebody would have had a problem. Somebody, somebody <laughs> Lot pleads with them to accept his hospitality. The word uh, for Hebrew here means to press. And uh, so it's the same word used later on in verse 7. And so it's a foreshadowing of the pressing. Um, Lot presses the angels to come stay with him in his home, and the men will be pressing against Lot later on. Um, and notice here that Lot's wish for them is to come into his house and stay the night so that he can uh, care for them, but then also leave early in the morning. Um, and that might be just general hospitality. But if they did do that, then maybe there might be a, a concern Lot has. Maybe he knows the city well. If he comes in the, into their house, his house and stays the night and then they wake up early and leave, they won't experience the uh, inhospitality <laughs> of the citizens of Sodom. Um, either way, Lot is showing great hospitality, and he's certainly distinct from the, citizen, the people of the city of Lot, as we'll see in the next verses. Be, they came to see the wickedness of the city, and they would have seen that in the square, but they also see it in Lot's house. But at mm-hmm. the same time, they see Lot's lack of wickedness, I guess, not necessarily righteousness, but his his lack of wickedness because he's trying to protect them. Yeah, and so Lot, I mean, the passage here doesn't specifically say Lot was righteous, but we do know elsewhere in the Bible, Lot is, con- is considered to be a righteous man. If they in the square, they would not necessarily right. have seen Lot's lack of wickedness. Um, maybe Lot specifically. I see what you're saying. It, it, would, it would have been a different story, certainly. But that's the, the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. The whole point is that the wickedness of the city is so great that they can't even... Lot can't even hide it in his own from his by staying in his own home. Um, it's gonna they're gonna get in. Let's go to verses four and five. It more or less gives them a reason to protect Lot because he protected them. Okay. Well, I uh, I don't I don't know if if that's like why well, they're they protecting him, purpose, but but this, it, this demonstrates. I would call it more of an irony that he's trying to protect them and they end up protecting him. I mean, that's, that's how I would describe it. Um, but showing hospitality in itself is a righteous thing. I mean, in <clears throat> Hebrews 12, it says, keep showing hospitality because some people have entertained angels without knowing it. That's, that's it. Yeah, well, you know, I, and I, I think the whole point of de- like them showing, or the, bi- the brighter showing and specifically stating his hospitality is, is making that distinction. That here's Lot showing good hospitality to these visitors, and here's the men of Sodom, and this is what they would have done if they stayed out into the square. And uh, so that distinction is important. Yeah. Okay. Where was I? All right, verses 4 and 5. Here we go. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may have relations with them. I feel like I often get to teach the fun stories in the books of the Bible here. (laughs) I've had to teach the judges' story in their young adults' class too, and so it's very similar. Um, but uh, before they lay down, okay, so we have, they come in the evening, they have dinner, and so we have a certain time frame 
Um, it's still nighttime. They haven't gone to sleep yet. Um, and now we get a glimpse into the wickedness of the men of Sodom. Uh, notice the language that's used to describe the people. All right, The men of the city, the men of Sodom, young and old, and from every... Mine says from every corner, but that just means from all throughout the city. All the men from all throughout the city, young and old. It makes you wonder whether that included Lot's future son in law. It had to. Well, they're, they're in the house. Well, well let's, let's get to Lot's future son in laws when we get to them. Um, but I don't think it does to answer your question right now, Jim. Um, they surrounded the house and they called to Lot and they said to him, Okay. Uh, where are the men who came to you? I bring them out to us so that we might have relations to them. And we, the word for relations we've talked about before, to know, yada. Okay, to know can just mean to know things, but it can also mean to um, have sexual relations. As with uh, Adam and Eve, the same word is used in Genesis 4.1. Um, so really you have to have contextual clues to understand what they mean. And I think from Lot's response in the verses after this, we can see clearly their intentions um, for the men is for them to have uh, sexual relations with them. So it's a, a pretty uh, horrifying picture of Sodom that there's these two visitors to the city, and this is how they respond to them. Um, and so we de- indeed understand there is good reason for the Lord to come and for the angels to see the wickedness of Sodom so that he could judge them. Uh, verses 6 through 8. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Verse 8. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Okay. Um, I do not I, well, so there's really not a lot of of uh, not a lot of defending uh, Lot's actions here. It's um, Lot. The men have surrounded the house. Okay, so there, there's the it's a city of men who have surrounded the house. They're going to be able to get into the house one way or another. So Lot comes out to try and stop them doing from what they're trying to do. Um, he says, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. And his solution, in a time where he is in danger, and he, the men of his house are in danger, they're clearly in danger, his solution is to offer his daughters to them. Which, as you said, Joan, I do not understand as well. I probably would have done the opposite, right? Um but he offers his daughters to them. Um, he says, now behold, and please let me bring them out to you. And it says, and do to them whatever you like. Now, mine says do to them whatever you like, but the, the Hebrew is do to them what is good in your eyes. Uh, which, comparing it to the book of Judges, the whole book of Judges is about people doing what is right in their own eyes. Um, and so there's that... It's that do them what's good in your eyes. That word, it's that word tov. So there's a little bit of irony there that the word tov is being used to describe such a, a wicked thing. Um, <clears throat> Again, I think it kind of highlights how 
it's a, it's a, it is a time and culture very separated from our own. But we have seen, I mean, I don't know much how much I want to compare these two. We have seen in the past where, where Abraham, in order to save his own life, has told his, his wife to, to tell Pharaoh that, you know, that they're not, not to tell them that they're married. You know, kind of a half lie. But offering up his wife to, to ensure that he doesn't die. Um, and so the women here are... This is not proposed to be the right thing. No, no, no. Well, no, I, I'm certainly not trying to do that. Um, no, this is not proposed to be the right thing. The women are the women are uh, being used as uh, being offered up to save the lives of the men. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's uh, like like I said, it's uh, it's not something that's being proposed to do the right thing. It's not something that I would certainly try to defend. It's it's just how how Lot responds to this. Um, the same thing happens in Judges 19. Uh, I'm trying to see if I have missed anything. So needless to say, uh, after this, Lot's relationship with his daughters is a little rocky. Um, And we'll get to see what that's like later on. Verse 9. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. All right, so they see Lot. Um, they, they're, they're, they're not happy with Lot for trying to stop them. They see him as a, um, judging them. And so we talked about maybe Lot was a judge earlier on from where he was sitting in the gates. They call him an alien, a resident alien, okay, a sojourner. That's like a... This would seem to contradict that. Yeah. I can understand why you'd say that. Um, but he is a... So let me get to what I was saying real quick. He was a resident alien. Okay, similarly, a resident alien that we've known, known of elsewhere was uh, Naomi was a resident alien in Moab. And then Ruth became a resident alien in Bethlehem. Um, but Lot was not originally a sodomite. Um, so that's what we're, they're referring to. And so now we will treat you worse than them. Can't imagine what that possibly means um, when they were willing to uh, rape the two visitors here. What? They're saying, "Who do you think you are?" They are. They, they are saying, "Who do you think you are to tell us right from wrong or to tell us to stop?" Um, they claim he's acting like a, a judging judge. Um, Shofat is that word that was used in chapter 18 where God wants Abraham to understand the, his justice. Um, so variations of that word were used multiple times in chapter 18. Um, and here it says that law is acting like uh, acting like a judge where he's trying to tell them not to do what they want to do. Verse 10, but the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Okay, the men referring to the two angels here. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Okay, so we know that these men are not just men. Um, They are clearly divine messengers. They're angels. Verse 12 and 13. Then the two men said to Lot, whom else have you have here? A son-in-law 
and your sons and your daughters and whoever, whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy this city. Okay, so we have the answer to the question. Does the wickedness match the outcry that has come before the Lord? And the angels have clearly seen that it has. And so the Lord will judge them. And the word for destroy here is the same word that's used twice in the count of the flood when the Lord promises to destroy the people because their wickedness is so great. Um, and so there's that comparison between the flood and this story. So the angels are offering Lot and his family salvation from the imminent destruction that they are about to bring upon the city. Verse 14. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Okay, and so the, what we learn is that from early on, offering uh, Lot was offering his daughters, and they had... Um, at least contracts to be married to these men. Um, and so I, you know what, to answer your question before, Jim, I assume the sons-in-law are in the house with Lot here. It yeah. Not, it appears to you that they're not, that he went back outside right. when they were blind and, and spoke to them. Mm-hmm. I, uh, it seems to me that they're in the house, but it's, it's not as clear as, as maybe I thought it was. Um, but he went and spoke to them, and he told them to get out of the place because the angels um, were offering uh, the salvation to the sons-in-laws as well. Um, but they didn't take him seriously. They, he, they thought he was jesting. Um, or they thought they were somehow mocking or making fun of. So they, I, you might understand from their perspective, they're, hearing that the Lord is going to destroy this place and they don't they don't take it seriously. They think uh, mock is just our mock lot is just mocking them again. Um, I think there is an alternative view of go ahead. The, that there may be more than two daughters. That there are daughters who are married to whom he is speaking mm. outside the house and then there are two daughters who have not married. I didn't even think about that. That didn't, that didn't occur to me. I think some of the commentators take that approach, which maybe makes it a little easier to understand who's going to home and why they don't come and so forth. Okay, no, I'm glad you mentioned that then. Um, Al was just saying that there might be an alternative approach where Lot might have more than just two daughters, and so it makes it a little bit clearer who's going to who and why uh, certain people don't come. That's right. Yes. Um, let's keep going so we can get to that. Fifteen, sixteen. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand in the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. All right. When morning dawned, okay, all this began in the evening before they were able even to go to sleep. And so the entire night through the night, this event is happening. 
Um, and Lot still hasn't left the city yet. Um, take your wife and two daughters. It'll be swept away, okay? That phrase, swept away, we saw it last week, where Abraham was worried that the Lord was going to sweep away uh, the righteous with the unrighteous. The angels have a similar concern for Lot, that he wouldn't be swept away with, uh, with uh, those who are being judged in the city of Sodom. And then verse 16, it's just so interesting, but he hesitated. Why do you think he hesitates? Yeah, how long has he been there? Yeah, it's, it's been maybe 25 years or a couple decades. I mean, he's, he's lived in this city for a long time, and he was a wealthy man before he came into the city. And I mean, I imagine a, a, wicked, a wealthy man in a, in a wicked city is, is probably not a terrible life for him. He's probably not... Suffering and poverty there, right? Um, so maybe he's become a little accustomed to the way of life in Sodom. So he's hesitating, leaving. It's kind of a picture of how it's difficult for us to separate ourselves from the world, even hmm. though we know God's will. Okay. Jim is saying uh, this is a this is a good picture of, of us as well. How it's difficult to separate ourselves from the world, even though we know God's will. Well, yeah, I think Lot is. Uh, you know, this, this has been his life, and he has grown accustomed to it for the past two decades. So, in the compassion of the Lord, the angels seize his hands and the hands of his two daughters and his wife, and they force him out of the city. <laughs> That's uh, the, when the compassion of the Lord is used, this word for compassion, it's this deliverance from imminent destruction. Um, so he's showing them by c- compassion, by forcing them out of their home um, because it's going to be destroyed. So Lot does not seem to grasp the urgency and thoroughness of the destruction that's about to come. He, uh, is, he, he believes, and yet he's hesitant to obey. Okay. Have you all heard the phrase growing up, uh, slow obedience is no obedience? Kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Um, Max says, do it cheerfully and quickly. Do it cheerfully and quickly. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, verses 17. I'm going to read a big chunk here, verses 17 through 22. When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. There's that word swept away again. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown to me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, for disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life might be saved? He said to them, to him, behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town which you have spoken. Uh, hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar. Now, it's a little, uh, at least when I read this, it's a little ambiguous as to who Lot is talking to and who exactly is responding. Because the, angel, the angels are talking to him first, and it seems like he's talking to them but then the language that's being used, it seems like he's talking to the Lord. I think the Hebrew is a little more ambiguous as well. But the, the, the fact is that um, they told him to escape to the mountains because judgment is coming. 
and Lot, not only is he hesitant, but he has a different idea of what he should do. He doesn't think he can survive the mountains. Um, he's afraid to go to the mountains with just his family. Um, he doesn't think he can survive, or he don't think he doesn't think he will survive the destruction if he goes over there. So he wants to go to Zoar. Zoar is a play on words. Uh, it's a Hebrew word. It comes from a Hebrew word for little town. Um, it's also one of the five kingdoms in chapter 14 that rebels against the kings of the east. It's, they're in alliance with Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and so you can't imagine they're... Well, my, my guess is they're not a much better city than Sodom or Gomorrah. So he's asking the Lord to let him go there and then not destroy that city in the process as well. Um, so he's, uh, he's, he's being, being pretty bold with his request here. Um, but... It's granted to him. Which has an ironic connection with Abraham yeah. in the last chapter. Yeah, yeah. I, I was saying it has an ironic uh, connection with Abraham in the last chapter because Abraham was boldly asking the Lord uh, for something as well. Um, although although they're, they seem to be a little different, right? Um, just a little. <laughs> yeah, that's why you said ironic. That's right. <laughs> Okay, verse 23. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. So we see a whole day has passed. So from when this terrible incident happened, when the wickedness of Sodom was clearly demonstrated, and Lot saw it, and the angel said that it was wicked, and that the outcry was great, and that they had to judge the city, it's a whole day before um, he finally gets to Zoar, and the Lord... uh, will now destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verses 24 and 25. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities in all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities uh, and what grew on the ground. Okay. So notice it's the Lord who's responsible for this. They make it clear. The Lord is the one who judged the city in the way that's being judged. This divine judgment that we've seen before in the flood that's being concentrated here just to a few cities because the Lord had promised that he would not destroy the world like he had done before. The Lord is destroying uh, these cities because they are uh, deserving of the judgment that he is bringing upon them. So the language that's being used suggests uh, thorough destruction. Everything the Lord intended to destroy, he destroyed. Um, okay, verse 26. But his wife from behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Okay, so we know that the angels, back in verse 17, told them not to look behind you. Um, although I don't think this is kind of like a, like a you know, turn your head and accidentally seeing, you know, what's going on back there. Um, so it's it could be that she turned around and looked at it, and that's why she's... She turned into a pillar of salt. Um, a number of commentators have noted that uh, do not look behind you. The look, word for look is, a, is um, a little more nuanced. It's like a look with longing, gazing, wanting to, not wanting to leave um, the city that she had just left behind. Um, the Net Bible puts it this way, and I think it's helpful. Um, the Hebrew word, verb means to look intently, to gaze, 
Lot's wife apparently identified with the doomed city and thereby showed lack of respect for God's provision of salvation. Um, she, like her daughters later, had allowed her thinking to be influenced by the culture of Sodom. Um, if any of you are like me, you might wonder why a pillar of salt. The answer is, I don't know. Um, there's, I know, this is something I, maybe I'm just thinking and no one else is. There's just a couple of explanations as to why a pillar of salt. One is because salt is often used to represent desolation and destruction. Bruce Walkey writes, in the biblical world, a site is strewn with salt to condemn it to perpetual barrenness and desolation. So it's a representation of the thoroughness of the judgment of the Lord. I've also heard it from the point of view of a preservative. God turned Lot's, Lot's wife into salt to preserve her as an example for everyone to re- remember the event. And, of course, we have Jesus in uh, Luke's gospel. Um, when he's preaching about the return of the son, son of Man, he tells the disciples to remember Lot's wife. So, I'm not sure why, but we do remember it. Um, no. That's the end of the destruction story, but we have more verses. So, verses 27 through 29. Now, Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Okay, so the Lord, or the Lord, Abraham arises and goes to the place where he met the Lord the day before and to see what the Lord will do. And the Lord had questioned in chapter 18 whether or not he should show Abraham what he's going to do, but he does because he wants Abraham to learn and understand justice and righteousness. And so Abraham does understand justice now, but he also understands the Lord's righteousness and mercy because the Lord indeed allows Lot uh, to survive the overthrow of the city. Um What are you saying, John? Just saying, so, it seems like to me there's some place where Lot is called righteous, but mm-hmm. I can't, I, I don't know. But here it says he saved him because he remembered Abraham. Not because he was righteous. Because he remembered Abraham. But well, before he, he, he tells Abraham that he will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. I mean, doesn't he in chapter 18? He says, uh, I will not destroy the righteous and the wicked. And so he makes, okay. yeah. Okay. I mean, it is said, it's said later on in the New Testament that Lot was righteous. Yeah. 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 I can't remember exactly where it was. Um, I don't know if someone else does. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's not a clear saying Lot's wife was uh, righteous or whether or not. Well, I mean, we do know that Lot's wife disobeyed the commands of the angel, right? And he turned around and gazed. And, I mean, we, we discussed that. I don't know if it may...
box throttles to it, I suppose. Which I guess you're going to leave for me, right? Well, I was planning on going through Lot's Daughters, but because they're, you know, I, okay. Yeah, all right, I'll, I'll leave it for you, Al. So, sorry about that. I was, just so you know, I was planning on doing it. Um, <laughs> okay, well, um, I'll go ahead and end this there. But what, what I do like, um, I, in the comparison uh, handouts that I gave to you, one of the things that I wrote there was God remembers the righteous. And so one thing that God does in the, the account of the flood is he remembers Noah and his family. And here after this, he remembers Abraham as well. Ken, go ahead. Uh, I just had a couple of thoughts. Yeah. In verse 16, Lot hesitated, but the men seized his hand and his wife and daughter. His wife looks back and she's turned to a pillar of salt. You know, hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And then one more thing. Uh, the city of Sodom, we know what it's well known for and its sinfulness. Hmm. But it's interesting that Ezekiel says this uh, As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister, and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters have arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and the needy. Oh, there you go. And, you know, so the sin was not just what it's Sodom, no. but it's known. That's right. Yeah, yeah. This seems to be the uh, what's the word for the kind of is it climax of their sinfulness? The paradigm. Uh, It's just like they. It's an example to show us that they had degraded to a a certain point. Yeah, but I'm not surprised by that at all. That that part of their sinfulness was the was the um, neglect and abuse of the poor. And that is a lot of Israel's problem in the Minor Prophets as well, especially the uh, book of Amos. Um, you see Israel in the book of Judges also acting a lot like their Canaanite um, neighbors. Well, Let me... Go ahead. kind of strikes me as unusual. Verse 19, Lot says, I cannot escape from the mountain lest some evil overtake me. In verse mm-hmm. 30... Where does he go? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it paints a picture of Lot, doesn't it? Um, that Lot is just kind of... Uh, uh, <laughs> he, he certainly doesn't know what is best sometimes. Um, so, yeah, we didn't get to get to that. Uh, but I will get to that next week. Yeah, any any other thoughts before I close this out on this on this? Story we have you may have heard, may have heard multiple times.
Um, if you're interested, you can go look at the uh, parallel story in Judges 19. And there, it's actually uh, the Benjamites who are acting this way. Um, really, you should read the whole book of Judges before you get there. But you can, you can go just read that, too. Uh, but it's a, it's a fascinating parallel story. Well, there were two things I wanted to end on. Uh, the first was the Lord. First thing we learned, and we can reflect on from this story, is that the Lord has the authority to judge a city as innocent or guilty. Um, and he has the authority to destroy the guilty city. The Lord must judge sin as a holy, righteous, and just God. Sin must be judged. Um, and yet, what I, one of the reasons I love studying the minor prophets is that you get a lot of that, the judgment, but then you get a really good understanding um, of his mercy as well. That while he has to judge sin, he doesn't wish for the wicked to perish. And so you see books like the book of Jonah and the book of Nahum where Jonah, there's the forgiveness that the Lord offers to the people of Nineveh. And then in Nahum, Nineveh is eventually destroyed, but it's 140 years in between. And the Lord waits patiently before he eventually has to destroy the city of Nineveh. So there's a, we see a lot of the Lord's justice, but also his mercy in these stories in this one as well. Um, the second one, this goes along the lines of... Um, Lot and his daughters, too, I was going to make this point. But I want to make it anyways because I think it goes with the rest of the story. Uh, Along those lines, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is a warning to the nation of Israel uh, and also to us about loving the sinful things of our world. And I think Dr. Ross says it well. No good can come of loving a society so morally bankrupt that it awaits the swift judgment of God, if not in a temporal judgment, certainly at the end of the age. So we should give careful attention to the things we allow our heart, our hearts to love. Okay, let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you for, again, for your word. Um, Lord, and uh, we, uh, for us, these stories of divine judgment, your judgment upon the nations uh, can be difficult stories for us to understand and accept. But, Lord, I think your word makes it clear that that you must judge sin, and you must make uh, must th- make things right in the world. And Lord, you judge the nation of Sodom, but you also uh, show mercy during that judgment, Lord. And Lord, we know we are not deserving of your mercy. That all of us deserve judgment, God, for our sin. And yet, in your grace, you have shown us mercy and love and given us the opportunity for deliverance from your judgment through Christ who took on the punishment for sin on our behalf. Lord, we're thankful for Christ, for the example that he is to us and for the substitutionary atonement that he provides for us, even though we deserve your judgment. And Lord, so help us to remember today and throughout this week that you are good and gracious and merciful and at the same time, holy and just as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.